Hello, friends, and welcome to the Caroline Glyke Show. Caroline here. I'm your host. On this podcast, we're going to be exploring a variety of topics from adventure and activism, climate change messaging, mountaineering, skiing, relationships, and how we can use sport to change the world. Today's episode is brought to you by Fat Tire. Born on a bike, Fat Tire strives to be a role model for other businesses in their impact on the communities they serve and the planet itself. Fat Tire is a certified B Corp and gives 1% of profits to environmental causes. They were key partners for my 2019 Everest Climb for Equality. They support nonprofits, including Protect Our Winners and the High Fives Foundation, and they continue to use business to make the world a better place. Learn more by following them on Instagram at Fat Tire. Sarah Heron is a filmmaker, keynote speaker, content creator, and shows women what they're capable of through adventure, travel, and body positive living. Sarah is a Colorado native and lover of the outdoors. In 2017, she signed up to become a bachelorette on ABC's The Bachelor. The experience made her realize that before all else, she needed to love herself. Sarah was born without the lower half of her left arm, but that hasn't stopped her from recently summiting Mount Kilimanjaro, that's awesome, and being an all-around powerhouse in the outdoors. I got to meet Sarah at a speaking event last fall, and I was instantly drawn to her ability to keep it real, to be honest and vulnerable, and we've kept in touch ever since. I really, really look up to Sarah for her candid writing about body positivity. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thank you. I know it's so exciting to chat more with you. It's hard to believe that was uh, like six months ago or more when we met. Yeah. I know. I've been, um, you know, I like setting up these podcasts and taking this time to connect. I feel like it's been really helpful for my mental health during this time of the coronavirus pandemic. And I really look forward to hearing more because I just love your writing and your message so much. Oh, thank you. I'm glad that this has been a positive outlet for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just been hard to not have like those in-person events because I know you do a lot of keynote speaking as well. And it's like doing that all now virtually. It's such a, I don't know, we just have had to adapt in a big way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's weird. So where are you chatting with me from today? Um, I'm from my house. I'm actually in my bedroom. Uh, I live in Carbondale, Colorado. It's, um, it's about 40 minutes of outside of Aspen. So a lot of people aren't really familiar with where I live, but everybody's heard of Aspen. So uh, it's just kind of the easiest way to say it, but, um, it's a small town, quaint little mountain town. And I've lived here for about three years. So I love it here. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Evergreen, Colorado. So that's over closer towards Denver. It's on um, what we call the front range of the Rocky Mountains. Cool. And have you lived in Colorado your whole life? No, I took um, about a 11 year stint living in LA. Um, I moved out to go to college in Los Angeles. I went to Otis College of Art and Design and got my Bachelor of Fine Arts. And I, I'm a graphic designer by trade. And lived in LA, got a job in advertising. I was an art director for 10 years and then um, made the move home when I started She Lift, my organization, and have just been back here ever since. So I think I've been back here for five, almost five years now, four or five years. Yeah. 
Cool. So is that how your LA connection, is that how you found yourself on The Bachelor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, I was working for this agency called 72 and Sunny. It's an ad agency and I was a junior art director pretty early into my career. And I had a girlfriend in the office who had applied for The Bachelor and Let's see, I was probably like 24 years old at the time. And so I was just like, that's like my dream to go on that show. I'm, you know, I'm so jealous. That's going to be awesome for you. And um, she ended up actually like putting my name in with producers and said, I work with this girl, Sarah. She'd be great for the show. And that's just kind of how it all started. And I mean, oh gosh, I could go on for hours probably about this show. But that, yeah, that's how it came about. What was your experience like on that show? Um, I had a really good experience. A lot of people, it's pretty mixed because it is a reality show, but of course we all know it's, you know, I mean, reality is still produced, right? So they're not feeding you lines. They're not telling you what to do or how to act, but there is a storyline that they're still um, trying to create. And of course there's characters and plot twists that they have to make the show dramatic. So um, a lot of people can come out having a really, really bad experience. Either they get kind of typecast into a certain character that they don't like, or maybe a bad side of their personality gets highlighted. Um, but for me, it was really transformative and it was a really, really positive experience because it was the first time I had to kind of step out from my shadows and my insecurities and, and like I said, yeah, just kind of step into the light and be myself. So it was really transformative and I met great people and it's stayed with me till this day. I feel like, you know, I'm still very much a part of the Bachelor franchise. So that's so cool. So what year were, were you, you were on it in 2017? No, no, no. So I was on season 17. Oh, um, got it. Yeah, season 17, but it it was uh, 2013. And then I went on Bachelor in Paradise season one and Bachelor in Paradise season three. So I've been on three shows total. <laughs> so that's why I say like I've had a really good run in the Bachelor franchise and it's been really positive for me. Well, it's great to hear that you were able to harness that kind of environment and turn it into something really positive. And I was curious, how did you manage? I think a lot of times those shows, they really pit women against women. And so how did you avoid falling into those kinds of traps and use it to rise above and find the upward spiral? Yeah. Well, I think it's important. I'll step back a little bit because I think everyone should know that where I was up until that point in life, I was really, you know, insecure with my arm and my difference in, in just like in my body. I felt since I was a teenager, I felt like an outcast, like a misfit. You know, I didn't look like the girls that I went to school with. I didn't feel like I belonged to any particular group of people. And, um, and so when I went on this show, I was inherently and am still an introvert. And, um, but I think I also have this ability to make people just feel, um, comfortable, I guess. And maybe it is because I, am a little bit of an outcast. I can relate and I can understand everyone's different, you know, perspectives or backgrounds. And so it, it, the bachelor is kind of a, it's a competition show and definitely girls can get, um, a little in their own heads about 
the competition. But for the most part, like you do become friends. These girls are your sisters and it's really strange. But so needless to say, I stayed out of the drama. I tried to just kind of like do my own thing. And fortunately that paid off for me because a lot of women felt comfortable with me and could open up with me. Yeah. You see on those shows and you also see this a lot in mountaineering and in expeditions that people can really succumb and their energy can be really drained by falling into those drama triangles and just, it keeps circulating over and over and over. And that's something I've had to work really hard on in my own life is recognizing like the drama triangle and like the perpetrator victim and those dynamics. And it's really helped me to just like not succumb to those energy draining social dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. And it is draining on The Bachelor. It's draining and you're sleep deprived. And I think, you know, a lot of the conflict and and drama you do see on those shows is because again, they're making a TV show. And so they're depriving you of sleep. They're taking away your comforts. And then it's just so much easier to for insecurities and irrational thoughts to thrive. And and then it's just a breeding ground for conflict and drama. So I'm really curious now, how did you take what you learned from that experience and apply it to your success on Kilimanjaro? Oh, um, sounds really similar to high altitude mountaineering. Yeah. (laughs) Drama. Egos. You're right. You're right. Okay. That's a great question. So two completely different stages of life, right? So much growth happened. I mean, a period of seven years in between, but I think the similarity is you have to recognize that whether you're in the bachelor mansion or on Kilimanjaro, you're all in it together with the people that you're with. And so you're going to get a lot further by supporting one another and listening to each other's needs and becoming friends than you will, you know, trying to fight or resist other people's needs or opinions and clashing. So it's just easiest to lean into the group um, community uh, of, of being through these really, really extreme once in a lifetime experiences. Spoken like a true leader. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. And talk to me about, I mean, one of the things I love about following you is the way that you balance femininity with outdoor adventure. And can you speak a little bit more to how you do that with your mountaineering and backpacking? Yeah, it's interesting because I I have always felt like this girl that loves to get dressed up and I wear my bachelor dresses. And then I also like to get muddy and dirty and explore the outdoors. And I think we're starting to see, especially in social media, that there's room for both. And and I think that's really cool. It's been a tricky area to navigate. Like sometimes there are definitely people that think like girly girls don't belong and it's been tough to kind of overcome that, but I think you can be both. You can like to wear lipstick and hiking boots. You can, you can experience all of it. And so, um, it's just been honestly a pleasure to, to lead by example for more women, because I think also women think if they are more feminine or if, if they like to wear makeup, then they don't belong in the outdoors. And I want people to know that anyone belongs. I mean, truly anyone can be there. Well, it's so great that we have like one positive of social media and especially the way you harness your platform is that 
it's great to see more examples of a more complex and nuanced femininity because a little bit of backstory about me in 2009, I moved to LA and I tried to pursue an acting and modeling career. And it was so hard to break into, but I felt incredibly frustrated by the typecasting and the very limited roles for young women in Hollywood. And so kudos to you for breaking through that and showing an example of someone who is not just one way or the other, but is complex and nuanced and has all these amazing layers. And another thing that you write that really speaks to me, you wrote, I believe power is found through vulnerability and sharing. I've been known to be unapologetically transparent in sharing my thoughts, my self-talk, and my victories. Can you expand more on that? Yeah. So I've always been someone that just kind of says what's on my mind. For better or worse, um, I've had friends describe me as being like so honest, it's cringeworthy sometimes, but needed in this world. And I once, um, I once did this exercise that my life coach prompted me to do, which was to gather feedback from mentors. They could be past colleagues, former coworkers, best friends, um, people that have really seen you through different stages of life and ask them for feedback. When do you see me in my strength? When do you see me in my weakness? If you were to describe me to someone who doesn't know me, how would you describe me? And when I did this to people from all different areas of my life and different stages, they all gave me similar feedback that I was just unapologetically myself um, and vulnerable with sharing whatever I'm going through. And I loved that because it's so true. I feel like when I have, you know, the covers pulled back or the curtains pulled back, whatever the saying is, and I'm just being my true authentic self, people can relate to that. And deeper connection is formed through that vulnerability than, um, you know, trying to pretend to be someone that I'm not or to say things that are filtered. So I just kind of let it all flow. I love that. I think that I got some award in high school that was like, most likely to give TMI because I've just always been that way in my relationships. Like I'd rather put it all out on the table and like show all my cards than hold anything back. And I think that's one of the reasons that I've been really attracted to your writing and just to, I feel like I've really got to know you a lot more over the last six months since we first met. And yeah, one of the other things I really struggle with on Instagram and social media in general is body image. And it's sometimes so frustrating, like the images that tend to perform best because it's like, you'll post like the sickest action shot when you're like on the summit of Killy or on your trip, like doing your thing. And the photo of you doing the activity won't get nearly as many likes as like the done up shot at home, like with the makeup. And, um, I just, it just, it's, it's so weird to be like a woman in this space right now because, um, but you wrote another thing that really resonated with me. And that is imagine a world where we come out of this and women go back to their busy lives, wearing less makeup, embracing their natural hair color, rocking plain fingertips, dressing for themselves, exercising because it feels good, eating carbs because carbs aren't bad, and putting their well-being before anyone's expectations of them. So tell me more about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I guess I do want to preface that when I wrote that, I don't think 
the opposite of all those things is bad. You know, if you want to wear makeup and get your nails done, that's totally fine. I do that too. But I guess my thought behind it was because of stay at home orders and quarantine, you know, we're all reverting to our true authentic selves naturally. It's like there isn't this need for performed authenticity. We don't have to dress up for someone else. We're just showing up every single day for ourselves. And that's what I would hope we can all emerge from this quarantine with is just being a little bit rerouted in who our true authentic self is and letting that shine first rather than, you know, that some of the, some of the practices that we've adopted to basically just fit in and conform to what other people want us to look like. Yeah. How do you recommend with all these voices, especially that women have in our ear all the time, like if you're outdoors, you know, you have to be like gritty and dirty, but if you're going out, you have to be done up and beautiful. And like with all these conflicting messages, how do you recommend that we peel back the layers to figure out who our true self is? That's a good question. Um, For me, it's always just, it's a little bit of a gut check. Um, And it's, it's taking inventory or auditing your behaviors. And I guess the way you feel around certain experiences or interactions that even you have with people, do you feel like you're showing, are you comfortable in your skin or do you feel like you need to modify your image or your personality to the circumstance that you're in or the people that you're surrounded by. So I always just try to take inventory, like I said, or audit how I feel when I'm in a particular situation. If I feel like I'm stepping out of line with my true authentic self, I know it, right? I feel uncomfortable. I feel maybe socially anxious or I feel um, like I'm trying too hard. So your gut and your intuition about what makes you truly the most comfortable and how you can show up your brightest self because people will gravitate towards you and your most authentic self. That's really good advice. Yeah. That's something that I'm constantly struggling with and trying to evolve to make sure that at the end of the day, that it's really me and that bright light coming through and not all these different filters of society and different voices in my ear. Mm-hmm. I also, I loved what you said about this vulnerability that's performed authentically to competing to be perfectly imperfect. And that's again, something we see so often on social media. So first of all, I should credit one of our mutual friends, Jen Hudak, is your friends with her, I think, um, through the ski community in Park City. But um, she's a great friend of mine, and she's she sits on the board of my nonprofit, and she, she actually gave me these words once was that it was like, we've seen women go from competing to be perfect to competing to be perfectly imperfect. And... And it's just like the pendulum swings so drastically. And I feel like that's happened within the last year or two, especially around the body positive movement, um, which just felt, I observed, it felt like everyone was kind of trying to, or not everyone, I shouldn't generalize it, but people were really kind of like globbing on to this authenticity trend that was happening so much that it felt really performed. Um, I saw myself and others doing like 
really vulnerable posts just for the spike in engagement, you know, posting photos of like myself, I wore my bra and my underwear because I knew, hey, these would perform really well on Instagram versus actually just processing maybe what I was going through offline or by myself and not blasting it out to the internet. So yeah, I think it's just everyone's kind of trying to navigate um, how to show up as themselves, especially in the age of social media, which is really, really hard because it's easier to just conform to a hashtag or a trend that's popular rather than asserting yourself as something that might be different. Yeah, I just, it, those thoughts really kind of pushed my thinking about it. And um, yeah, it's really, it's really interesting to kind of unpack and explore that for sure. And Jen is also just an incredible like thought leader. And last summer she really helped, she gave me a mountain biking lesson and it helped me take my mountain biking really to the next level, which I'm a terrible mountain biker. I so that. <laughs> no, I am so timid. Like I have no, I don't know. I'm not people, people are always like, it's just like skiing. Right. And I'm like, no, it is not like skiing. Like <laughs> I've really, I've always wanted to be a mountain biker and I've been trying for like the last 15 years, but it is so challenging for me. And she was incredibly patient and yeah, she's super cool. She is the most patient coach ever. She, yeah. That's why I asked her to be on the board of she lift and she comes and mentors all of our recreation because she's just the best coach ever. And it's been so cool to see her journey to motherhood and parenthood with, with her husband. And I saw your post about that. And I was just curious if you have advice on how women in general can be more supportive of other women and to really lift each other up online and in real life. Yeah. Okay. So this is an ongoing thing, right? I think women just need to keep a, a journal of continued ways to support one another. And I think my biggest one right now is, um, oh, what is the mantra? Sorry, we were just working on this in SheLift, but um, assume best intentions. And I think a lot of people will assume, and this is a lot of the inner dialogue or the narrative we have is that like maybe someone is judging us or that we don't belong, or we come up with a laundry list of excuses why people might not like us. And then in in exchange, we get defensive or we can become um, unsupportive or closed off to other people. So I think what I'm working on right now in this season of life is always to just assume best intentions by everyone. It's like if if another woman maybe isn't reaching out to you to eat lunch or is kind of cold at the office place or whatever the scenario may be, try and understand where she might be coming from. Maybe she has a difficult time in social settings or maybe she's dealing with um, stuff at home. You just never know someone's backstory. And so I think it's just best to leave with um, compassion and understanding where someone might be coming from. One of the things I really struggle with, and I think it's partly because in my industry of snow sports, that there's often just been one token woman on each team. So for like each group of sponsored athletes, there's like one woman out of 10 athletes. And so I feel this really intense, like jealousy or competition with other women. And so one of the things I've been thinking about is just to remember 
there's room for everyone. And to try to change my mindset from that of scarcity to that of abundance. But do you have any other advice or tips for me in the struggles, these personal struggles I have with jealousy and competition? Um, actually, I mean, you said that's such a great one because the way I can could relate to that is when I started SheLift, um, which I, I think I get, I'll get to tell you a little bit more about this in a minute, but um, I was, I would feel really jealous about similar organizations that were out there and maybe doing better than SheLift or they were raising more money or they had more um, fundraisers or more celebrities attached to their organization or more people signing up. And I got really like competitive and jealous. And that's also when I realized, Hey, you know what? Um, we're doing a great thing. All of these organizations are great organizations and there is room for all of them. And I think for you being an athlete and a female, it's like, you're absolutely right. You're doing great things. You're, you're setting a great example for future little girl athletes and there needs to be more of you. So again, kind of going to that assume best intentions. If you guys could or bring down the wall between you and thinking about the jealousies and instead embrace one another and collaborate to reach a higher place is what is what I would recommend. But I know it's so much easier said than done. Yeah. I guess like for starters, sometimes I just like go in and try to comment nice things on people's Instagram posts. That's like a good baby step for me because I really have to just be patient and kind to myself and take like one little step at a time so that I can begin to like embrace I don't know, just to be more compassionate to myself. That's a really good point. And if we're going to relate it to Instagram, like, um, but even if I remember similar things in middle school, there was a girl that I was like super jealous of. She was like the most popular girl in seventh grade. Right. And I wanted to be like her so bad. And, but there's also that little bit of you that's like, I don't like her because I want to be her so bad in a weird way. And, um, one year for like the class holiday exchange, we had to gift each other presents and we both wrote cards to one another. And then I was like, Oh wait, she's real. Like she's really sweet. And, and maybe vice versa. We became best friends and we're like best friends to this day. And I think it was the simple act of maybe extending an invitation to one another when we normally wouldn't have, um, and we just came from totally different social groups and now we're great friends. So it's, it is kind of like, you know, commenting on someone's post or reaching out and saying hi to someone that you normally wouldn't. Yeah, no, I love that. Like the, the extending the olive branch, you know, can really go a long way. And the other thing I really liked that you just said is the invitation, because sometimes it just takes that small act of inviting someone to participate to create a more inclusive culture and community. And so on that note, I wanted to ask you about your work with SheLift and if you could tell us what is SheLift? Why did you start it? I'd yes. love to hear. Um, okay, so SheLift is a nonprofit organization that really I started after my appearances on The Bachelor. And the reason is... Um, I had started getting tons of messages. I mean, hundreds of messages from young girls and family members all across the world who had limb differences like me. And they were writing, saying, you know, that 
I was the first person on mainstream television that they could relate to, that they even identified with. But then furthermore, that they saw on my social media that I was going on hikes and paddleboarding and doing all of these really cool adventures. And they wanted to learn how they could do those as well. So um, initially for like the first three years, I can, I will admit, I really resisted it. I, um, I didn't want the responsibility of being a mentor. I didn't want the responsibility of like parenting some of these girls when I didn't even know how to parent myself. And so I really resisted this, the universe just sending me all of these girls until finally, you know, I did some work and I did some healing and I said, you know what, if I can take girls with physical differences on a hike like that, that is the, the easiest thing I could do, you know, and then we'll, we'll bring in some coaches and some mentors and some athletes and the real professionals. And we'll create this whole experience for young women to build confidence through recreation. So, um, she lift is about four years old now. And unfortunately, because of coronavirus, we had to cancel all of our programming for 2020. And, like all small businesses, I mean, we're taking a, a really, really huge hit, but we have a very strong online community, which is great. So the girls are still thriving. The community's, you know, still very much there connecting through Facebook, but we'll hopefully have our programming back in 2021. What inspired you to start it? Um, so a couple things. Um, I learned to ski when I was about 23 years old. And um, I remember I skied, I went skiing with my dad one day and I looked up at the mountain I had just come down and it was like a blue, not like incredible, but I just looked up at the mountain and I was like, I came down that. Like, I, I just, it blew my mind that I came down because it, it looked so steep to me. And I was like, that was the coolest thing. And I just remember that feeling, feeling so good about what I had accomplished. And so from there, skiing became like one of my favorite sports. And when the light bulb went off, I was just like, I want to take a group of girls with physical differences skiing. And fortunately, because of where I live in Colorado, there's so many resources for adaptive skiing that um, everything kind of just came together in this perfect, you know, puzzle. And I took seven young women with um, mostly arm differences, but a couple girls were um, below knee amputees and got them all set up with skis. And we went skiing for a weekend and the rest kind of just, we started building programs after program after that. I had no idea that it was from skiing, the inspiration for She Lift and I guess I just, I'm like over here just beaming because I feel the exact same way about skiing. Like it gives me such a sense of power and accomplishment and the feeling of going down the mountain. It's like magical. It's like the closest thing you can come to flying. So if you ever need a volunteer, I'd be, I'd love to help out. Oh yeah. 100%. And that's how we came up with the name. My friend and I named it because we're like ski lift, she lift, female empowerment. So that's where that's the name came from. so cool. <laughs> Yeah. How can people be more supportive of individuals with physical differences? So it's a really fine line. And, um, but I think, um, the biggest thing is, is if you're someone able-bodied, we'll say, um, don't assume or treat someone with a physical difference, like 
one, like you can't ask them or approach them about their difference. Um, I think a lot of times people kind of skirt around the topic or feel uncomfortable about talking about physical differences and disabilities. And most people are open to talking about it as long as it's approached from a safe and respect respectful manner. That doesn't necessarily mean walk up to the person in a wheelchair at the grocery store and ask them why they're in a wheelchair. Not what I'm saying. But, um, you know, if there's someone in your office place that you've been working with and you are curious, ask them. Because a lot of times I think people with differences and disabilities kind of just get disregarded or their story, um, you know, gets kind of disregarded. So that's one thing. And then the second thing is um, there seems to be a lot of like kind of patronizing if you have a physical difference. And it's the most frustrating thing um, because you have to remember most times we've either been born with a limb difference or we're an amputee, but we've had to make adjustments. We've figured out ways to do things. And so if a stranger walks up and asks if you need help opening a water bottle, sometimes it can make you feel like you're just like, I know how to open a water bottle, you know? Um, and so I think it's just like, assume that, that people with physical differences are capable because we are. And so just don't be patronizing. Don't assume that um, you're not capable of doing things because we've been working at it really hard our whole lives and we're just as deserving and capable of, as anyone else. Thanks for that advice. Yeah, I kind of like stumbled to even broach the topic because I just, it can be like, I guess it's like sort of uncomfortable and it's not, it's like a little bit tricky sometimes to figure out the best way to ask those questions. And I really liked what you said about the patronizing and like, like when someone has, like when you're in a group of people that society continually has low expectations for, it can just be really limiting. And for me as like a petite woman, I know that it's not, I mean, they're di very different, but like, it's hard sometimes not to internalize those low expectations on yourself and to start like, see, when someone tells you something so many times, it's hard not to look in the mirror and see that to be true. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's tough. Honestly, we could have a whole hour long conversation on it because it is kind of case by case for everyone. And I don't want to make a general statement for everyone, but it's kind of like, you know, I remember being on an airplane once and like someone saying, hey, can I lift your suitcase into the overhead bin, which was good intention. But I also then felt like, oh, my God, everyone's looking at me. It's just it's a really sensitive area. And so I think why I say approach it from a safe and compassionate perspective is like everyone's going to be a little different. Everyone's going to have different sensitivities. And I think it's like as long as you're not a total stranger on the street trying to like ask someone how they lost their arm or leg, just approach things from a compassionate place and you're in good hands. <laughs> yeah. And I also really responded positively to what you said about how much difference there is between different physical, um, differing ability levels, because it's just really, it can be really frustrating in like the outdoor community when someone asks you to speak on behalf of a whole group of people, like in, in snow sports, for example, like I always get asked to be like, what would women want on their skis? And I'm like, well, within women, you know, there's like this kind of gal who loves pink, this gal who hates pink and like this gal who skis this way and this, like we're all different. And so 
I get frustrated. I'm like, don't ask me to speak for like 51% of the population. Like, just like with men, like there's different kinds of men. And so I think that you can get into a lot of trouble when you try to like group too many people together and speak for everyone in the same way. Right. Right. So in your opinion, what, or with your, in your worldview, what are the best practices to talk about an individual with a physical difference? So again, it's kind of um, personal preference. A lot of the girls that come through SheLift, we we talk about this. So we actually have coaching sessions. Like you go ski for the day and then we come home and we have coaching sessions at night with um, a life coach. And Jen Hudak actually has facilitated many of those for us. And, um, and so we talk about topics like how does it make you feel when someone wants to, like when a stranger asks you, what happened to your arm? How do you want to call your physical difference? And so a lot of people will be comfortable with calling it a disability. I don't like that word. That's personal preference. I kind of just associate it as like a bad word in my mind because my mom never called me disabled growing up. I, you know, um, but it's, it's tough. So it's again, case by case. So I just say physically different because that feels umbrella enough that a lot of people can identify with it. And that doesn't just include disabilities, but it can be, um, gender identity. It can, we're all physically different, right? I don't want to put one label on it. So I say physically different, but everyone kind of has their own name for it. And do you, I remember when we were touring the National Ability Center for that speaker event, they also talked about people first language, where instead of saying disabled person, you say, I mean, I know you don't like that. So you'd say the person with physical difference rather than physically different person. And is that another thing we should consider? So that was new to me. And I did really like that also. You're right. So um, I, I think what they were saying is like, Rather than saying like the one-armed girl, you say the girl with one arm or, um, and I think that's like a better way around it because at the same time, like I am a girl with one arm, (laughs) like, you know, that's not offensive to me, but it's, everything is like syntax. It's the way you say it. It's how you say it. It's, I think it's just approaching everything. Again, I know I keep saying this, but like with compassion. Yeah. Well, and also that having the sense of agency where someone asks you what your preference is sort of like in, you know, sort of like when you ask people their pronouns, it's nice when you can control the narrative around you rather than have other people speak for you. 100%. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us because yeah, it's always something I'm trying to be more thoughtful and more inclusive about. And so I think those small tweaks with language can go such a long way. Yeah, that's great. I think you were the person that asked that question at the National Ability Center or something similar, but, or I don't know, but I remember that topic coming up now and yeah, thanks for bringing it back up. Okay, well, I end every episode with a few rapid fire questions. So if it's cool with you, let's jump into those. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite TV show? It's The Bachelor. <laughs> That's a great answer. It always it will be. be. <laughs> favorite book? Um, my favorite book is The Alchemist. That's so interesting because I was thinking that as you said that. Really? I yeah, love I love that it. book. It's, it's a, a great, great story. Mm-hmm. Favorite color? Mm, teal. I like teal. F- 
favorite food? Oh gosh, it changes, but I would have to probably go with Thai food. Ooh, any specific dish? I know now, as soon as I said that though, I'm like, no, Sarah, go back. I'm going to go with Indian. I like, I love Indian food. Just chicken masala is my favorite. Mm, I'm vegetable masala with the garlic naan. So good. Yeah. Okay. Are you a morning person or a night owl? I'm morning person. Hardcore. And a piece of advice you'd give to your younger self. Oh gosh. I was thinking about this. Um, I would have liked to tell 14 year old me that just, I think I would have, I would like her to know that everything was going to turn out fine and that her story was going to, to be able to reach thousands of people. I think I really struggled as a teenager being so different and thinking that that was like a a horrible thing. And now I just wish I could have known like, Hey, you're going to, you're going to go on TV and you're going to try and find Prince Charming. And then you're going to learn how to ski and do all these wonderful things. And it's going to, it's going to reach, you know, thousands of people. So I would have liked her to know that. For all the young people out there struggling, it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's going to work out in the end. Yeah. (laughs) As a fellow late bloomer in life, I can completely relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sarah, is there anything else? How can we support you and follow your work and follow you? Um, Oh, well, uh, follow me on Instagram, Sarah Heron, and then just keep an eye out, excuse me, for SheLift. Like I said, everything's kind of on pause right now with coronavirus, but, you know, check out our website, stay tuned. Um, yeah, just uh, join the Facebook group. If you have a physical difference and you want to be a part of SheLift for right now, I'd say join the Facebook group and um, we'll hopefully be back back and thriving in the new year. Yeah, and make sure if you when you start following Sarah on Instagram to check out her Kilimanjaro video because it's excellent. Yes, and thank you. I'll link to all that in the show notes. Sarah, thank you so, so much for spending the last hour with me. Like It means yes. so much to me to have this connection and Everything you said, I just 100% behind and we'll just keep in touch and hopefully we'll get to go skiing or do something together in real life soon. I know. I know. Thank you so much for having me on and it was really great to spend time talking to you. Awesome. Have a great rest of your day. All right. You too. Thanks. I am resilient. I trust the movement. I negate the chaos. Uplift the negative. I'll show up at the table again and again and again I'll close my mouth and learn to listen Special thanks to Avery Sandak for his help with the audio on today's episode To my partner, Rob Lee, for being extra quiet while I'm recording in the house today And to Rising Appalachia for graciously providing the music for today's episode If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and rate and review it so other people can find it. Until next time.